by 1800 when our period ends and realizing that the story we will be exploring really is that story. The creation of the modern world would not have happened without the story of colonial America. And of course, another reason I'm fascinated with this period is there are a lot of good stories in it. There are heroic stories, there are tragic stories, there aren't that many happy stories, but we will find some. So it's an interesting period filled with interesting stories, people, and it is part of a bigger story in the history of the world. The problem always is in teaching this course deciding where to begin. And I thought we would start around 1500, just thinking about what the world was like then. And if we were looking at the world in 1500 and thinking about who are the great powers in the world, we wouldn't look very long at Europe. And of course, we wouldn't look at the Americas. I think we would probably start in China, which was probably the wealthiest and most powerful country in the world. It had just recently been unified under the Ming Dynasty for the first time in a long time that China's rulers were native Chinese. And so a united China was reaching out to the rest of the world. In the early 1400s, the Chinese emperor sends a treasure fleet to explore the Indian Ocean, showing off the wealth of China around the world. But then, just as suddenly, China pulled back from the rest of the world. The world still came to China. Arab traders plying the Indian Ocean were trading in China. And there was a Silk Road bringing the wealth of China into Europe. But the Europeans couldn't afford that much of China's wealth. China still stood in 1500 at the center. In fact, the name China is the Central Kingdom. But that's a story we will get back to later on. And then we might look to India. Fabulous wealth in the Mughal Empire of India. And India, though, is tied in with the Muslim world, a world that really stretches from India to Africa. And in many ways, the Islamic world in the 1500 is the most dynamic force in the Western world and something that's going to precipitate the story we will be telling. As I said, this is a world that stretches from India, from the Indus River Valley, into Africa to the Niger River. And along the Niger River, the city of Timbuktu was at the center of the Mali Empire, one of the great trading empires of the period, bringing the gold from the mountains of Guinea to the south and west of Timbuktu onto the caravan routes across the Sahara into the Mediterranean, more importantly, into the Arabian Peninsula, bringing the salt from the mines just south of Morocco down to Timbuktu to be traded to the fishing people living along the Niger and to the south. Also bringing leather, the cattle who ranged along or were ranged along this western Sudan, their leather is what made Moroccan leather famous throughout the world. So Timbuktu and the Mali Empire were among the most powerful nations of the world in the 1300s, 1400s. In fact, in 1324, the emperor, Mansu Kankan Musa, made a pilgrimage to Mecca, as all good Muslims are supposed to do. He brought along a caravan of thousands of camels, bringing the wealth of Mali, the wealth of Africa, 
into Arabia. He brought 3,800 kilograms of gold, so much, in fact, that it devalued the currency in Egypt. And he brought back to Mali a Spanish architect. Remember, at this time, Andalusia, or what becomes Spain, was also part of this Muslim world. So Mali is a presence in the 1300s. In thir 1433, desert tribesmen, the Tuaregs, sacked the city of Timbuktu, destroying the Mali Empire, or the power of the Mali Empire. Later on in the 1400s, a new empire emerged, the Songhai Empire, which rebuilt Timbuktu and controlled the trade. But this is a weakening of Mali in the 1400s. Now, thinking about the wealth of the Muslim world, the power, strength of Islam, the power of China, we next turn to Europe, and here the story is much different. 1500.